Hello, everyone. This is Jen Fry, Vision Council member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. I am so happy that you are joining us today, and I'd like to welcome you to our Becoming a Nature Evolutionary Teleseminar series, where we delve deeply into what it means to be a nature evolutionary through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a world where people and nature are co-creative partners and all life has the right to thrive. Today's call is being recorded, and the recording will be available on our website, natureevolutionaries.com. Nature has been trying to get our attention, and our world is changing. We are being asked to move into alignment with the amazing beings with whom we share this beautiful earth. When there is uncertainty in the world, we can turn to nature for guidance. Inevitably, we get the message to slow down, find our roots, breathe, activate our heart, and remember our connection with all beings. At this moment in time, we are realizing how small our world really is and the invisible connections that are woven between us. So may we use this time to find some quiet, reevaluate our priorities, and create a more beautiful world. If you would like some inspiration, our website has a large library of teleseminars with incredible, inspiring nature evolutionaries, as well as an extensive blog with thought-provoking and soul-warming articles. I would like to thank our members and donors for making possible today's teleseminar, which is from consumers to citizens, the culture of sustainability. And I'm very happy to introduce our presenter today, who is a writer and anthropologist whose work explores the relationships between humans and the earth, most recently through her work with plants and plant medicine. She is the director of the Sustainable Herbs Program, which you can find online at sustainableherbsproject.com, the co-producer of the documentary Newman, The Nature of Plants, and the author of the award-winning ethnographic novel, Thin Places, A Pilgrimage Home. She is currently completing a book from seed to shelf following herbs through the supply chain. And so I'd like to welcome today's guest, Anne Armbrecht. Thanks for joining us, Anne. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful opening. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, Anne, I think, um, well, okay, why don't we, how about um, we start with the Sustainable Herbs Program. So can you tell us a little bit more about this um, and how you're sharing the stories and resources to um, change how we work with plants and herbs? Um, sure. So I started, well, I'll just back up a teeny bit before the Sustainable Herbs Program. Um, with my husband, filmmaker, Terry Yalk, we made Newman, um, a film really celebrating the philosophy of herbal medicine. And as we were sharing that, showing it in, you know, screenings around the country, what struck me was that for herbalists who know and love plants, the film made sense and it resonated in a deep way. For people who didn't understand herbal medicine already, herbal medicine really was a product on a shelf. Um, it wasn't this philosophy to change the world, which is how I think of it and how, as you described in the opening. Um, and so I wanted, I realized that to reach a larger audience, I needed to go to the product on the shelf and really understand what it takes to get plants to source them from around the world and who's involved and what the impacts are on people and places and plants. And so I started gathering the stories of those people doing the work because I really thought, um, or I believe strongly that, you know, the more we can connect with the people on the far side of the products that we're using, the more we really can shift from just being a passive consumer to really a partner and how then our purchasing of some product can really help create the world that we want to create, not just that it's a product that helps us feel better. And so the Sustainable Herbs Program, it started with a Kickstarter campaign and a really um, broad outpouring of support from the herb world that helped me raise the money to really launch it. And we gathered traveled around to different parts of the world to cre create a different short and longer videos, um, both 
documenting each step of the supply chain, really just to educate, like this is what is involved in wild harvesting a plant in Eastern Europe, and this is how it's processed, and then this is the next step, and these are the people doing that work. So there's that series of storytelling. And then there's a number of videos that are looking at issues in the herb industry um, that are that companies who are really trying to change the way business is done are grappling with. Um, and so the website is a multimedia website, and it includes both sort of information about the supply chain and then diving deeper into some of the issues. And as I launched the website, then I began speaking with American Botanical Council um, about the possibility of forming a partnership. Um, and that happened two years ago. And so now it's a program affiliated with American Botanical Council, which has allowed me to reach a much wider audience and really engage in conversations with, you know, much bigger companies and beyond the, the sort of herb companies that herbalists know and love, but the ones who really have a bigger impact. Um, and so in addition to producing videos and things like that, I'm working in, you know, to help organize panel discussions, say, at trade shows, um, to have conversations about sourcing and sourcing more responsibly, and then working to sort of build collaborative networks among different stakeholders and NGOs and companies just to kind of build more responsibility through the supply chain. Um, yeah, I was, um, but, oh, go ahead. Uh, just the, so the, but, the, but the heart of it to me is really, you know, to me, plants, uh, um, you know, it's about wellness. And it's not just what it can do for me, like take drinking nettle tea, but really how I can be in partnership with the plants to create wellness all for everyone involved. Um, you know, how's the soil being tended? How's the environment being tended? Um, are plants growing with or without pesticides? Are regenerative practices happening? Because it's really shifting from focused on the product but really the process, and then how we as users of those project, products can really help companies, not by judging them, but really help them go further um, and be better caretakers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was uh, looking at your website quite a bit recently, and um, first of all, it's extensive. You have so many articles, great <laughs> articles on there, so much It's, it's all too long. <laughs> No, it's not too long, but you spend a lot of time. Um, and then you also have um, really beautiful, thought-provoking videos. Um, and then there's the, the whole one section, which I think has really great questions for people to ask if they want to, whether they're a consumer or an herbalist, um, you know, questions to ask about uh, the plants and how they're grown and, and all of that. So I think it's a fabulous, a really great resource. Um, oh, thank you. One of the one of the quotes, actually, I think it might even be right on your homepage. That really, I thought was so um, thought provoking was, uh, you have written. Many people assume that in buying remedies made from herbs, they are buying the healthy alternative, and in fact, it isn't so simple. Um, so I think you touched already touched on a little bit there about how the how the soil is done and how the herbs are harvested. But I'm wondering if you would like to add to that at all. Um, so one of the challenges in, in this project, but then even more so in this book that I've just finished the, um, and sent the manuscript to the editor, um, has been in writing about an industry that is um, complex, much bigger than I ever expected, and with a lot of different practices. And I, uh, I started it very much as a naive herbalist, you know, and, and in part that's the way it's changing now, but when I was studying herbalism, um, there was not a lot of talk, like in my experience, herbalists talk about the intention and the spirit of the plant and all of that, and then often they're recommending products that are bought and sold on, you know, on a global supply chain, which mm -hmm. operates according to the principles of capitalism, which are not about intention and spirit and connection and aliveness, you know? And so 
with this book, I really wanted to understand, is it possible within a global supply chain to have that aliveness? Like, what does intention look like? And where would I find it? Um, it's not, you know, sitting quietly with a plant in your garden. That's not how things work when you're producing herbs, you know, to sell by the tons. And so um, part of then the complexity of understanding those practices is, one, there's a huge range of quality. Two, it's a fairly secretive and hard to get access to behind the scenes. And so how do I honor those who do give me access, right? I'm, I'm not interested in being an investigative and journalist and, you know, being a tell all the dirty secrets. And so, but I also don't want to be Pollyanna-ish. And so how much of the bad practices, and there are definitely bad practices, do I share? There was once when I was visiting a um, processing facility in Eastern Europe. So a processing facility, a producer group, is where wild harvesters often will bring their herbs, and then the processing company will um, collect them and dry them and do a first level of cut and sifting. And then they will sell to another level up. But they're usually the ones that have direct relationship to either farmer, growers, or collectors. And they're usually in like Eastern Europe or more rural places that don't necessarily look like they would meet our quality control standards. Although there's, you know, the companies that pay attention to that, they're rigorous quality control standards all the way through. But it can be hard to know what to look for and what's a problem and what's not a problem. So once I was in one of, the, one of these companies and I texted Joseph Brinkman, who has been a real guide for me on this project, and I said, so do you worry about spider webs in the beans, you know, hanging over the herbs? And he said, well, yeah, there shouldn't be spider webs, but I've seen a lot worse. And so part of understanding the practices is understanding that what is being done is taking plants that grow in the soil through a journey where they need to be cleaned up essentially, you know, and that's a process, but they do start in the soil. And um, so anyway, I, I'm not sure if I totally answered your question, but I. No, I think it's, um, I think it's good. And um you know, I think for me, so I also started as an herbalist, uh, gosh, like 20, 20 plus years ago, and I would say definitely naive, and um, and I think for many of us, you know, we have, yes, we harvest our own herbs in our yards or our areas, and then when we start ordering from other people, we don't necessarily know where those herbs are coming from, um, which I agree with you, that's something that we should know. Um, but even after being in the like in this field for so long, just recently, like in the last five years, uh, I was really shocked to learn how little people who harvest, um, even like ginseng, you know, like ginseng's been over harvested, and even the people who harvest the ginseng, um, which is a huge in theory cash crop, make pennies. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's. Um, well, I know it's also another thing that you uh, have highlighted in some of your movies about the importance that the people are, um, all people along the line are treated and um, paid respectfully. Mm -hmm. um, and how that also connects in with the relationship with the plants so that um, they're also learning about good sustainable practices for harvesting and not just wiping them out. Yeah, and that also gets complicated too because often um, the, the people who I have spent the most time in um, from companies who are really going out and meeting with the producers and developing relationships and either um, they often they work for a brand, but sometimes for a, a buyer, like a trader, but more than a trader, you know, they do value added work. Um, what they all talk about is that it's a cultural relationship and a cultural exchange and often collectors, especially wild harvesters have been doing this for many years or generations. And 
and so you know and then these outsiders come in and say oh you need to change your practices and you need to do it this way and that way um, and I think the ones who treat that more as a cultural exchange and really see those the others as partners and don't just come in and assume that people are doing it wrong but really how to see what's working work together to improve you know it's, it's a um, and and then the, the money piece is it's also challenging and figuring out how how I think about it right now is like how to sort of spread out the money you know there's a lot that's at the top a lot of companies have a lot of money invested in marketing um, how to, is it are there ways to spread that more through the supply chain um, which I think it relates to the I, our role as people who are buying these products you know often these companies need a lot in marketing because the companies that are producing really high quality material and doing the best they can in terms of the earth and paying what they can um, uh, their products are going to cost more but they have to compete on the shelf with products that cost much, much less and with herbs that are bought and sold on the open market and where there's no, often there's no traceability and no attention or very little attention to quality control beyond what's required by the FDA, um, little attention to sustainability and things like that. And so, if, so those companies need to invest in marketing, right, to make sure their products sell so that they can stay in business. And so it, you know, I just wonder if there's ways we, as the users of those products, what, what we can do to understand the challenges that companies face and really say, okay, you don't have to constantly be telling me to buy your product. You know, just a different way of having a customer and um, company, more like a partnership. Um, right. Yeah. Well, and I think... Um the the difference in quality is also really interesting and so often we are I, I think particularly in the herb industry and maybe it's just because that's where I've been more but it feels like there's such misinformation about um, what is good quality um, or or even lack of understanding about where everything comes from um, and again it goes back to I think this quote that we just have this uh, this assumption that if we're buying herbs, then we're contributing to a healthy alternative, both for ourselves and for the earth. And unfortunately for the, um, the history of herbalism, that's not necessarily true because we've over-harvested so many plants and it's, you know, our love of them has actually endangered them. Um, or maybe it's not our love, maybe it's just our use of them. Um, so I actually was going to ask you another question, but this is popping up now. So um, because of the the pandemic and um, oh, you know, the yeah. herbal industry is already um, so, it's so huge. So I don't know about your reactions, first of all, but anytime I hear that a new herb or a new plant is like the hot herb of the year, I always get nervous because I'm like, oh, now we're going to wipe them out too. Um, but now with the pandemic, there's um, the already stressed herbal industry, it's, it's like at unprecedented levels. And so I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are about what's happening with the herb world and, um, and the people involved in it and helping um, with this virus. Um, I actually just had gotten in touch with someone who sources, he's, um, has a company that brings in high quality Chinese herbs to, and we're, to find out how it's impacted, but we're talking next week, so, mm -hmm. um, not this week. I've been more preoccupied trying to get my daughter home from Argentina. That's the immediate way the virus has impacted me. Um, I spoke with one herb company who one thing they mentioned was, you know, that immune things are just flying off the shelf and how they're trying to um, make sure that they're going to have products still in a few months and not letting customers hoard, you know, buy up a lot. Um, so I, I, that's all I really know about the impact. Um, what I've been thinking about is 
okay. You know, I remember at a Green Nations gathering, the first one I went to in like, I don't know, 20 years ago, um, 18 years ago, David Hoffman, Stephen Buhner, there was a panel on when the pandemic happens and what do we do and, you know, how herbs can provide that first line of defense. So, so we've known this has been coming, but um, how can we really um, use this opportunity to not just scramble and, okay, herbs are popular, but as the herb community to really see what I was saying in the beginning, that it's not just about our own wellness. You know, what is this virus trying to tell us? And, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of ideas, but um, to me it's how disconnected we have become from the natural world and how fragmented we are from, you know, socially, economically, and so environmentally. How can we use this moment and how can the plants kind of lead us to envision a different way of doing business? Where it's not that they're not herbal products, but that the herbal products are really the end goal of those products is wellness for the whole earth, not keeping a company in business. Right. Um, and so what can each of us do to help that shift? Um, So I'm, th- you know, I, and actually that's what my whole book was about, really thinking about um, how to, the question I said at the beginning about, is it possible to, what is intention through a global supply chain? And the book was one of the hardest things I've ever written or created, in part because that's a challenging question. And I was trying to talk about the whole industry I was trying to figure out, okay, how to talk about this industry, which one of the most common things people who work in it have to say is it depends. You know, it depends. Things are complicated. They're changing. It's quite nuanced. It takes a lot of detail. And so often the people who work in sourcing, the marketing department does not like them because it's like my website. It's like way too much information, you know, and it's hard to distill that to the key stories. Um, and so within that industry, I was really trying to see, okay, where, where does spirit show up? Like, where is that aliveness? What does that look like? And how, what I came down to, or what came to me most powerful was it was the, the way people paid attention. Just what you were saying in the opening, slowing down, paying attention to the people and the places and the plants, the quality, the quality of the soil, the quality of life, you know, just really paying attention, not just being on such a fast track, okay, I need two tons of this. Um, And so how can we use this moment in time to slow down, in particular in the industry? Um, So, yeah, kind of got off on it. No, it's good. Um, Well, I think one of the things that struck me, actually, as you were talking, is just the word herbal products. And also, um, often in classes or lectures, I hear people talk about, um, well, how do you use that herb? And I think Mm -hmm. just in our languaging itself, um, it's showing the the disconnect and that consumer consumer aspect rather than the partnership of, um, you know, we we've got to have this herb and, and um, forgetting that they are alive beings and that it's really about the relationship with them. Yeah. There was a quote, so, oh, go ahead. No, no, please. I've been reading the interviews, um, some of them from Newman, and I'm struck so much by the wisdom and especially Bill Mitchell's interview, and he talked at the end uh, about, you know, what is needed is a declaration of dependence um, on each other and the earth, and that plants can be uh, a vehicle for that. Um, And he said also, which is giving me hope lately, is that it can be like the Berlin Wall tumbling down, that he thinks it can happen quite quickly. And he also thought that companies will really take the lead which I also thought was interesting. Um, 
So, yeah. Yeah, so if um, any of our listeners have not watched the movie Newman, I highly recommend it. Um, when did you make this movie, Anne? I forget. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's been out for a um, while, but um, yeah. But we just, uh, I was telling Anne earlier that we just watched it in one of my classes again this past fall, and I was just struck again by just the wisdom and the beauty in it and um, really the um the, to me, anyways, you might have a different summary, <laughs> but for me, it was just really highlighting the the preciousness and the beauty and wonder of the plants and nature around us and our innate connection with them. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Incredible. Well, and I wanted to to say that um, we are going to right now. It can be viewed on Vimeo, um, and we're going to make that free for the next two weeks. And I will. So it'll be on the Sustainable Herbs Program website under Newman. There'll be a coupon coupon code Newman, capital N. Um, But I'll share the link on the website and I'll give that to you as well. Just to bring that spirit into people's homes and who are stuck in their homes. And um, yeah, but I wanted to go back one thing about the virus and what I was also thinking like, Okay, so what does that mean? Um, Okay, so we've known for a long time, but we have not necessarily done all we could to prepare. And and the thing about herbs is it takes a long time. And so to really think about um, both when we're buying products, you know, there's certain products like golden seal, um, maybe look for alternatives to golden seal, you know, that are really slow growing forest botanicals. um, And think about ones that are easier, that, that won't be so impacted by such a spike in demand. And then think about how we can support companies in longer term planning, you know, to, you know, I don't know, but just all these plants take a long time to grow and it really impacts the growers and the collectors um, when there are these spikes. And so you could even be asking companies, you know, like, I don't know, or what the role of companies can be in giving us advice, not just how to support our immune system, but how to support them as a company keeping in stock, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, I saw um, my friends at Woodland Essence that they actually closed down for a few days because they can't keep up with their orders. So, um, and I've seen lots of other herbalists that are working like crazy just to try to keep up and can't keep things in stock. And, um, but I think part of that goes back to something that you said earlier about uh, the herb companies trying to keep people from hoarding the medicines. Um, so, you know, maybe I think, again, as consumers or, well, as Americans, we still have this concept of bigger is better. And, um, and so we got to take lots. And, um, and so I think sometimes the best thing that we can do is just also only take what's needed. Um, and that, that goes as far as harvesting, right? Like that's one of the main principles is to, um, to only take, uh, well, really a small portion of whatever is there. Um, but also for the herb itself, like it's um, really we only need to take what what we actually need, and um, and small doses often is enough. I'm, you know, not saying anything in particular with this pandemic, but often we can take a smaller dose than what people think. Um, That's a beautiful way of saying it. Like thinking when we're ingesting the medicine in the same way as you would harvest. You know, people don't talk about it that way so much, right? Right. I think of like Robin Kimmerer who talks about the honorable harvest. You know, and how we how can we be that way as a nobody likes the word consumer but we're all kind of consumers but you know how can we be that way um i think that's what i was also talking about or trying to with finding that in the what to me stands out through the value network of producing herbs is the quality of attention um that people pay uh, one thing I've found is that there can be uh, judgment or like uh, criticism of 
we need to shift to all local bioregional herbs. And yes, that's really important. And yet there are also these communities that have historically produced herbs for a global market and their livelihoods depend on that mm-hmm. network now. And so how also, so I don't know that it's an either or, like international versus US, um, but more how to build resilience in both of those international one and you know there's certain companies that are really working hard to do that and also in domestic and then what we all can do right now especially as the season changes is plant more herbs ourselves you know think about what we might need and to reduce that pressure on companies Mm -hmm. yeah no it's a great alternative to those grass lawns to the wait wait to the grass lawns you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's fill them up yeah. with some herbs instead. Um, so I think, let's see if this question's going to like finalize in my head here, but um, along the same lines, um, you know, the quality, the quality of the herb, the, and you said about the culture of the, of the area that people are working with, um, you know, the, it's a really a cultural exchange as well. And, um, and so I'm wondering, because in particular, well, even in our own culture, we all have that interaction with the plant. And so um, I'm, and maybe this is the question you've been asking, but how do we bring that connection with the plant forward in the medicine making and not lose that? Like, how do we honor that um, and really respect this, this spiritual connection between plants and humans? Or maybe you have a yeah. story that you can share about that, too. Um, well, there's two different, two, two different, so one thing I struck, so one of my favorite companies was this one in Eastern Poland, um, where the people were all incredibly kind, and I understood there, like, that helped me see that intention shows up in all sorts of different ways, intention, intention there was, like, the way the head of the company really cared for his employees um you know there's quality of care was what the intention was it was not an intention with the plants you know the plants were big huge quantities sacks of herbs being you know cut and cut through these big machines um so so that made me think a lot about seeing you know how we see with our eyes and what we see and what we don't see and so, so that's part of like seeing the invisible and right. So often the invisible is say the spirit of the plant, but what I've really been thinking about, it's, it's what we can't see. And so that is also the people behind these products, right? It's the, the men and women at that factory in Poland. And then by seeing, like by opening my eyes to see that more, that changes my relationship with the end product. Um, so there's that, like the cultural scene and economic scene. Um, but then there's also what was one of the hardest parts of writing this book was really trying to honor the scene in a more spirit sense, right? Sitting with a plant and having an idea of, oh, this plant will be good for, um, you know, this or that. And, or, and how to write about and honor that in a way right that's really tricky to do because it can trivialize it or it can simplify it and you know I've read plenty of things where people try and talk about that and it's easy to dismiss that numinous experience right I mean and then there's like the story that Phyllis Light tells in Newman which is beautiful and not at all something to dismiss um so I thought a lot about how to honor that spirit in this book that is really more about like the political cultural economy of the herb industry. And for me, again, it comes back to that quality of attention. Um, there's a really nice essay by Barry Lopez called The Invitation. And he's talking about hunting with some Athabascan hunters and they see a bear 
and he, as was coming from a Western point of view, focused in on the bear, and they saw a bear, and that was the big event for him. But he noticed that his hunter, the hunters with whom he was, you know, traveling, saw the bear much more in relationship to the world around, you know, the, the events leading up to the seeing the bear, and then what happened afterwards. So it was one part of a larger web. And then he concludes, like. The bear is there all the time as an invitation into a deeper relationship with the world around us. And so that's how I really have been thinking about plants. Like they're inviting us into this deeper world. It's not just about boosting my immune system. It's about, you know, seeing the mystery and beauty in all of this world um, and slowing down and paying attention and also taking herbs for the immune system, but it, then that gets back to what you were saying also, right? If you're doing both and it feels like maybe you need less of those herbs because we feel more centered and grounded and whole without needing something to make us whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think. Mm. Well, and what was coming to my mind, I love that, inviting us into this deeper world. Um, and so, uh, coming from an allopathic point of view, when we look at herbs, that's when we look at them as it's a substance that we ingest. Um, and, you know, so they can be in capsule form or, or a tincture or tea, but it's just something that we ingest to make this change in our body to bring us health or balance. Um, but when we can step outside and go more to this traditional um, or some might say indigenous form of looking at the plant, what you described there, that's actually the medicine. It's not so much about the constituents, but it's really about the connection and the relationship that we have with the plant and how that um, changes us. Um, yeah. I mean, when I think of like this journey I've been on with, I, I first started studying herbal medicine with Rosemary Gladstar in like 1998 when I came back from Nepal, where I'd done research for my doctorate, um, you know, I sort of fell in love with everything about herbal medicine, in part because it really resonated with what I found so powerful about rural Nepal. Um, And then that led to, from you know, at first I thought I'll be an herbalist, but I live in Montpelier, Vermont, and there are more than enough herbalists here. And, and, And one thing has led to another, and I really... Like in the moment, it felt confusing and overwhelming and like I'm not sure which direction to go. But when I look at it from taking a step back, I see very clearly that it's the, you know, I I really trust that the plants have been partners in this journey and that it has been deeply healing for me as a person figuring out what work I'm here to do. So, you know, just what you were saying about that medicine, you know, how to think, thinking of it in that bigger sense. And that's kind of what I feel like this moment in time is a is a chance for us all like to see that, to wake up and see and it's happening, right? The videos spreading around of singing in Italy, you know, the way people or, you know, Zachwood's farm offering herbs on a sliding scale, you know, every community I'm sure has different examples of how we're reaching out and connecting. Um, and that that is that helps, like that helps you feel better, right? Less scared. Right. And Rosemary says it so powerfully in Newman. She's like, when we hear the news of the day and it just makes us scared. She said, it's not about being an ostrich in the sand. You need to stay informed. But if you stay too informed, then you're just, we're just fearful and we can't do anything. And so how to, I mean, back to plants, right? When you think and are really with, not just the plant as a product, but the whole plant, it just is more centering, and then we can figure out what action to take in a less panicked way, or I can. It helps me be less panicky and fearful. Yeah, well, and um, I'm just thinking about this work that you're doing and showing the, the unseen parts of the herbal world, too, and how that all ties together. So, um, So it is that when we take yes, when we take this plant medicine, we're in, you know, if hopefully we can have that connection with the plant, 
um, but also we are having that connection with all the people who have touched the hands along the way. Yeah. Um, yes. And if nothing else, that's exactly what this virus is showing us, right? It's like, yes. where yes. are all the people who have touched whatever it is that ends up in front exactly. of people? <laughs> yes. So it's really making yeah. like the, the invisible visible. Um, that's so true. And, and the I companies who... Oh. No, no, please go. Um, well, and that's why in the herb industry, why certain things like you want certified organic herbs, because that means there's a paper chain, paper trail, documenting whose hands have touched those herbs. And if they're not certified herbs, there's not necessarily, some companies might have policies where they do make it be traceable, but you can't count on it. Um, and they could just buy them in an open market and some of the places we visited, you don't want those herbs from that open market. And so it's kind of shocking how few herbs actually, you know, it's a quite small percentage that are certified organic, organic, even less like certified wild organic or fair wild. So that is a way of like showing that care through the supply chain and attention. Yeah, so you mentioned Fair Wild, so could you say more about that, the Fair Wild certification? Um, so Fair Wild is a certification that is um, that came about because, so Organic Wild documents where it's from, and, and I don't want to get too much in the details because they might not be correct in my mind, but um, there's not a lot of studies around the regenerative what's happening in terms of regeneration for certified organic. So Fairwild came about to really um, document what the stands of plants are, what the population is, and how much can be taken from that with, without undermining the regenerative capacity. And then also attention to wages and how much people are paid. And so there's you know, some of the fair trade premium fund and slightly higher wages for that. Um, it's, it's hard to, it, it, it's slow to be picked up. You know, a few companies, PUCA and Traditional Medicinals are two of the leaders who have been real champions of, the, of it, the certification, and invested a tremendous amount of time and resources um, it's slower for other companies to pick up for a variety of reasons um, around supply and dependability and cost and how much they trust their consumers will buy and consumers not really asking because consumers, maybe we don't all understand the nuances. Um, yeah, so I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> there are some videos on the website that go into it in more detail. One of the things, uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent now, but kind of backtracking a little bit, uh, one of the things I was thinking about uh, with your work um, is showing so much about this invisible again. So you have um, some information there about the waste of the herbal world, um, yeah. which for myself, I never even thought about that. Like, I know, right? <laughs> right. And I mean, it's because I work... I don't even make products for my clients or anybody anymore. I only make them for myself. So my scale is super small. But even when I did, I mean, I was still such a small scale that that was just so eye-opening to me. Um, yeah, so I, don't, I just lost my train well, of thought. <laughs> well, well, I'll respond because that was kind of stunning. That I, was, I hadn't thought of it. And I was speaking with a, a medical anthropologist, an Ayurvedic doctor in India, and he said in the Ayurvedic industry, like, I don't know, 30 to 40 percent, might be slightly more. Um, and it was kind of his, he couldn't cite a specific source for this. So, you know, more of a gut sense. But 30 to 40 percent of the biomass of the herbs was wasted in the manufacturing process. And so especially in India and in the Ayurvedic industry where there's so much over-harvesting and so many of the plants, 70 to 90%, I think, are taken from the wild, um, that's tremendous, right? But that is lost on the factory floor. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that, you know, there's nobody asking and companies aren't talking about that quality of 
um, waste. There's another way, way that there's waste because of the quality. So if it's poor quality, then you need more of the more plants, right? And higher quality, you need less plants. So companies who pay attention to the quality all along the way to make sure it's well handled, it's dried correctly, so there's not loss, um, so that the constituents are actually in the finished product, they will need less of that to meet their quality control tests than plants that are lower quality. And then you need more of that to pass that, you know, whatever tests they're doing to measure that they have the right quality. So attention to quality at the very beginning saves so much all, all through the supply chain. Well, and I also put, well, I just another thing that was eye-opening to me was we visited Indina, and we have a short little video on the website for this as well, and, and looked at their use of solvents, right? Nobody really talks a lot about solvents, but right. there's a range of solvents, but they have, you know, some are benign and some are not so benign. Um, it's quite hard to find out information about that as an end user. Companies aren't advertising it on their website. Um, but Indina talked about their R&D process where they're really starting to, from the beginning, thinking, okay, what is the least, the, the most harmless, I don't, you know, the, the most benign, I don't know the right word to use, um, mm -hmm. solvent to use, like water would be the most, the best, right, or, or organic agriculture alcohol, you know, they start in the research process to use the most benign substances and then only increase to more harsher chemicals as needed. Um, but I was impressed with that attention to not just using one harsher solvent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyway, that, it's a more hidden side of sustainability in the industry. Another thing that's on that page is about um, sustainability and waste in laboratories, right? All, so um, kind of far from the spirit of the plants, but it's all part of it. It's right. a, a hidden part of it. Well, and I think, again, yes, all of that was surprising to me. And <laughs> um, and, you know, it makes sense, too, because we're talking, like, I don't think um, most people realize how big the herbal industry is. And it is an industry. You know, we have yeah. people making it in their own homes for themselves to, you know, local folk herbalists. But then we have these huge, huge companies. Um, and so, yeah, all of that, the waste on those different levels um, was just amazing to me. Um, and as we were talking, it all comes back down to this quality, quality, quality. And I think, um, you know, the, the best form of the medicine would be where that, um, where those qualities, or you had said intention, um, is kept at every stage of the game. Um, and so I think from us as a consumer, like it's important that we become aware of this and we think about this so that if we're drinking a cup of herb tea, you know, there's a huge difference between drinking plants that you harvest in your backyard and then drinking a tea bag. Um, and even amongst those tea bags, there's a huge difference about where they came from. Um, but all of that from what you're saying, you know, the land, how the land's treated, how it's, how the soil is, to how the people who are harvesting it, to the people who are making the medicine and the solvents that they're making and, you know, it all adds up right. to the product, and yeah. And it's so overwhelming, right? I mean, when what you're look, we're looking for is something to boost our immune system. Yeah, right. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's overwhelming, right. and so you know, I mean, that's kind of how I early on started it. You know, just sort of give up, throw up your hands in the supplement aisle, right? How to tell right. and how to navigate that whole world. It's hard, and and I I think a lot about um, you know and, and how there's so many companies claiming to be this and this and this, and how they can tell us more honestly what their challenges are, right? That it's nobody has the answers. Everybody I've talked to acknowledges nobody has the answers, except for 
pay attention, go meet the suppliers. That is what every, actually everybody says, the way to make a difference is have relationships through the supply chain. So that is an answer. But how, as a company, can they trust us as consumers more, and how can we be trustworthy, right? And that requires doing what you're saying, you know, really understanding how complex it is. It's not easy. Um, you know, and, and so what do we need to understand and still be willing to buy their products so they can stay in business and do the work they're trying to do. But then they need to tell us the truth about what they're doing and not try and pull the wool over our eyes. So, um. Recently, um, I heard a, or I attended a conference and um, Andrea and Matthias Ryzen from Healing Spirits Farm were speaking and they, you know, they have a very, compared to the scale that you're talking about, it's a pretty small herb farm, but it's also, a, you mm-hmm. know, compared to the scale I'm used to, it's a large herb farm. Yeah. And, um, and they charge quite a bit more for their herbs than what you would find from, like, Frontier or somebody. Um, but they really talk to the people that they're selling the herbs about how, you know, they have that relationship with the plants and there's not a middle, they're not selling other people's herbs, they're selling their herbs. And um, so they said one of the things they do is they take their herbs to um, a store and will have a a jar of their herbs next to a jar of frontier herbs. And you can see that, (laughs) you know, so people are willing to buy because there's an aliveness that's kept there. Um, So, yeah. There's an Indian man we interviewed um, who has this pretty – interesting fair wild project he said you know the problem is we have reduced everything to money and it's so think like by buying andrea matthias's herbs or mel and jeff carpenters or whomever you know then it's not just paying for those herbs that help me but it's helping them stay as a farmer Mm -hmm. you know it's a whole buying local food and all of that but um yeah it's so important because and that gets back to what i was trying to say at the beginning about we're in this to have wellness. So I feel like the herb industry, like done well, my vision is that it can really be an example of how capitalism can be done from a, a different place, um, you know, that does respect the plants and that they can offer a, a way, a path that, that's not necessarily clear yet but the possibility of a path, like an invitation to create a path where things are bought and sold in a market in that way, but there's wellness. It's not just the end product wellness. Mm-hmm. So I know you have um, so many suggestions and questions on your website. However, I'm wondering if you have a few suggestions that you could give to our listeners for um, maybe things to look for or uh, what they should be doing as consumers to really um, improve on this relationship with the plants and the producers? Um, So it's interesting early on, you know, people would ask me what company to buy from, and I never like that question because I feel like I want people to learn more and, you know, and then everybody comes back and they're like, no, I don't have time to learn more. But I, I think the main thing is learn more. Maybe, you know, it's the same thing that you said in the opening, slow down, use less, but know more about what you do use. Not just how the plant is used in my body, but where's it grown? Is it threatened? Um, You know, be curious. And we're trying to get some of these plant stories on the website. It actually takes a long time and there's a lot of information. So I'm slower with that than I'd like, but learn more about the plants in the world. And, and as much as you can, be curious and follow that. That's one thing. In a buying sense, I think buy organic, certified organic. You know, it makes no sense to be taking something for wellness if we live in a world that's polluted. And non-point contamination, which is pesticides of unknown origin showing up on plants in places where there was no pesticides applied, is an increasing problem for certified wild harvesters around the world. And that's because there's just too much pesticides in the world. And so across the board, again, buy less, but buy certified organic. Um, so those are maybe two things. One's a buying thing and one's a learn a little more thing. Yeah. 
great. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add in or stories to tell or anything you'd like to share? Well, I had an interesting conversation the other day with a woman in Germany. She was interviewing me around systems change work. And um, I don't really think of myself in that way, but it was an interesting conversation. And, and she was struck by how I talked about trust and how I trusted this project. She asked what I was concerned about, and I was like, I wasn't really concerned about things um, beyond like my finishing them. And I think it's because of the plants. She said nobody else she's interviewed has talked about trust in that way. They talk about the challenge of building trust, but not like trusting this path. And I trust that because the, of that the plants always show up and I have this practice of authentic movement for a long time, and the whole practice is moving from that, like really slowing down and paying attention to the movement that arises, and then following that. And when that follow that ends, wait, pay attention until the next movement arises. Um, and that's really how this path has unfolded for me. You know, when I feel lost or confused. When I pause, and then there is this sense of being led, and I feel like that is that aliveness of the plant. Um, so, I guess that's what I. I want to. I have this quote written down. Find it here. That you just. Um, I think this was actually from. It's from one of the videos on your website, but I think it was the one that was not, it was supposed to be a Newman and ended up not being a Newman. All right. Um, mm -hmm. And for our listeners, if you don't know this movie, it's spelled N as in Nancy, U, M as in, uh, I guess, Martha, E, N as in Nancy, um, just because it might be hard to hear over the sound waves. So please check it out. Um, but it's a quote from Jeff Bodoni of Viridita's Wild Gardens. And he says, a large portion of the healing power of plants is the actual interaction with them. Yeah. And listening to you talk and, um, and talking about the trust, and um, I, can, I know that feeling, and I can just hear it in your voice of just you turn it over to the plants, and you know the plants will always show up and the plants will guide our way. Um, and it's them who are really telling the story along the path. Um, and I think, again, back to this, it's about the interaction. And, um, and uh, when we look at the herbal medicines um, and the sustainability of them, I think that's the thing that we have to keep coming back to is what's our interaction with them and, and how are the plants being interacted. And the more that's done through a respectful and loving way, the, um, the, the more that we'll experience the medicine, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, go ahead. No, I, no. Well, there's a wonderful quotation in Newman also from Bill Mitchell who's talking about, you know, when anything, like you can get to the magic and mystery and awe through plants, through science, through sitting with them in a plant spirit way, but regardless, you come down to mystery and awe of, you know, how amazing this world is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and so maybe uh, with everything going on right now, this is our opportunity to sit down with the plants. And fortunate for us, I don't know about where you are right now, Anne, because you're in Vermont, so maybe they haven't quite started to return. But around me, they've been popping up. So, um, you know, the plants are coming back out, so we can maybe take some time to go sit with the plants and breathe in that medicine. Yeah, yeah. Well, Anne, I want to thank you so much for, um, well, one, really, all the amazing work that you're doing in this world and, and particularly bringing this invisible part um, visible and encouraging us to be more conscientious consumers and um, interactors of the plant world. Um, and then also, of course, for uh, talking with us today. Thank you so much. It's been great. Yeah, it's nice to have this conversation given other conversations that are happening everywhere. Right. Uh, nice to be remembered and reminded, and so I appreciate that. 
So as I said, you can find a plethora of information and beautiful videos at Anne's website, sustainableherbsproject.com. And as she said, also that's where you'll be able to find the, the Vimeo link for Newman. Um, so please do check that out. And when her book comes out, um, hopefully the beginning of next year, we'll be sure to um, announce that on our website and or our Facebook page too. So um, keep an eye out for that. And I'd like to uh, invite you to join us for our next teleseminar on April 19th, which is an Oak Love Story with Jolie Alon. We heard Jolie talk last fall. She was at a panel for Bioneers with our own Pam Montgomery, and her love of oak is just infectious and amazing, so please do join us for that. As I said, you'll be able to find today's recording along with all of our past recordings on our website. So if you're bored, you have lots of things that you can listen to. While visiting our website, please press that Donate button, um, for it is your donations that help us continue to do our work of creating educational opportunities and listening to and building relationships with the living earth. And our website is natureevolutionaries.com. And during this time of change, it is important to remember the foundation of life. So we invite you to hold a seed gratitude ceremony on March 21st. You can find information about this on our, including another beautiful short video on our website, Instagram, and Facebook pages. So let's take this time to breathe and dream together and remember our hearts and our connection to one another and to this amazing, beautiful world. Thank you all. Have a blessed day.